Welcome to White Coats of the Round Table, a podcast for healthcare professionals where we discuss non-clinical careers, burnout prevention, and other ways to have career development in healthcare. I'm happy to be here today. Once again, John is not here. Next week, John will be back. I'm not holding him hostage anywhere. But today we have a guest, so you don't have to just listen to me drone on for half an hour. Rather, we get to listen to someone that actually has something interesting to say. And we're going to stick with the theme of healthcare writing. We did two weeks ago, we did the episode with Megan and talked about different ways that healthcare can, uh, healthcare professionals can enter healthcare writing as either a side hustle or just a really awesome non-clinical career option. And we want to go back to that because I think there's been a lot of interest, a lot of intrigue about this as a career. And today we've got a really great guest. So Hassan Thiwani, I hope I'm saying it right, but I'll let you correct it at the end because I, I'm sure I'm going to butcher it. But Hassan is a specialist clinical pharmacist turned medical writer. He's worked with a number of healthcare brands ranging from independent fitness companies to world-leading pharmaceutical corporations. He's since co-founded Write Clinic, which is an educational platform for healthcare professionals looking to turn medical writing into an alternative career. And Hassan, I'm going to turn it over to you. I don't know if you've listened to any of our previous episodes, but John usually likes to give this very flowing, loquacious intro. I am not a creative, so that is not my area of expertise. So what I'd like to do is officially welcome you to the show, but then turn it over to you and give maybe a little bit of a background of who you are and what you do. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Michael. It's an absolute pleasure to be able to speak about everything that I love. Uh, so I'm a medical writer, as, as Michael said. Uh, my The way I got into medical writing was very unconventional. Uh, a lot of people kind of found out about the industry, I guess, post-COVID when everything went digital and uh, people started to understand the necessity of having accurate medical information online. For me, it was quite different. I was on a sabbatical, traveling around the world, four months, planning to go back to my job. Uh, I'd been to me, the pandemic hit when I was on the beautiful island of Bali, which may sound like a dream for a lot of you, but to me, it was quite stressful because I did not save money just to stay for that long. Um, in the UK, salaries for junior healthcare professionals are not the highest. So saving for even four months took quite a lot of time and effort on my behalf. So I was happy to spend that money while I was traveling. But you know, when I hit the fourth and fifth month, I was really getting low on funds. And I didn't really know what to do. But luckily I had my computer there with me and I met my girlfriend out there as a writer. And she basically said, why don't you do medical writing? And I was like, what is medical writing? I don't understand what that is. So I basically Googled it. and I came across this article, which I can never find again. But it was a pharmacist, a UK qualified pharmacist who now lived, well, back then, lived in the Bahamas and worked as a medical writer. I thought, you know, that sounds like the dream. I've always been an admirer of a travel and I've always wanted to live abroad and sort of carry out the healthcare professional work remotely. So I fired medical writing. I got into it very, very slowly and it was quite tedious. The first article I ever wrote was actually for a furniture company, which has nothing to do with medicine. <laughs> but that gave me my first portfolio piece to kind of be like, Hey, so I know I can write, but I'm also a pharmacist. Uh, and that way I started approaching different clients and different platforms. And eventually I kind of found my mojo, which um, over time got me to where I am today. So having worked with really small brands to marketing agencies in Australia, to marketing agencies in the UK, with whom I've helped write copy for some of the leading pharmaceutical companies in the world. Um, and 
it's been revolutionary for me because it's a career that, I mean, like all healthcare careers, we're always learning, uh, but medical writing takes it an extra notch, an extra notch up for me because I'm running about things that aren't in my specialty. Um, as a pharmacist, I sort of started specializing in surgery uh, in orthopedics then moving into gen surge and um, plastics. Um, though that's where my heart lies and I absolutely loved my job as a pharmacist and I would go back to it in a heartbeat where the conditions are a bit better in the UK. However, when writing, I'm running about topics spanning men's health, female health, sexual health, stuff I, I knew a little bit about from university, but not enough to say I'm an expert on. But nowadays with my experience, I, I'm happy to say I'm an expert on quite a few topics because I've written about them so much and generally understand what's going on, uh, which basically brought me to last year where I thought, you know what, why don't other people do this? Uh, I realized COVID finished and I found myself still writing. I came back to the UK last year to locum for a couple of months to maintain my registration. But I realized even those three months of locuming were so stressful, um, having worked as a somewhat junior role, but having the responsibilities of a managerial role, I found it pretty, you know, it, it was overwhelming and I was getting burnt out pretty quickly and I was getting really stressful. And I saw the repercussions to my colleagues quite a bit, the ones who were full-time employed. Luckily, I was in locum, so I was able to kind of switch off, but they had no burn and they had all the, the weekends and night shifts and everything else on top of everything else. So um, I carried on writing while locuming. So I was working nine to five and I was working again five till nine just to, you know, keep my credibility and reputation as a writer. And um, a bunch of my colleagues were like, yeah, can you teach us? Can you, can you tell us what we're doing? Um, and so I was like, okay, cool. So I found some like medical writing groups on LinkedIn. Uh, my business partner, uh, Virginia, she founded a LinkedIn group, which is amazing for medical writing beginners. And it's, we've got a community of over close to 3000, I'd say from all across the world. All people are interested now but um i remember writing a comment being like hey what would people like to learn you know kind of like trying to gauge an idea and she reached out was like hey oh my god are you thinking of making a course um haven't looked at her portfolio background and she's a fantastic course creator and educator and she's currently working with you know content for the nhs uh, i thought let's do this together so i guess that was in october now when we first launched and here we are around seven months later and we have the full the full shazam the right clinic has been birthed and we have provided healthcare professionals, scientists, and PhDs with a platform to access that has a variety of courses to help them get into the basically to get into what I do now. That's so great. I so there's so many aspects of that story that I think resonate with me and certainly will resonate with our listeners. But the first thing that I want to focus on is the fact that you maybe did not have a a plan to go into this non clinical career, but it was almost thrust upon you out of necessity. And I think so often when we talk to listeners or when we talk to other guests, one of the biggest barriers to jumping out of a clinical role is we've gone to school for a very long time. We typically are in a career role that makes a good amount of money or enough that we're comfortable. So it's hard to step out of that and do something that may be completely foreign to us. So can you maybe expand on that? It sounds like your girlfriend was a big inspiration and uh, we should probably, you know, send her a big thank you because now you've been able to convert this into an opportunity to share this experience with others and teach them how to do it. But what was it like maybe, you know, contemplating how to pay the bills and then making the jump without having a plan, without having this really, you know, thought out over a long period of time, but rather something you had to dive in feet first out of necessity? Well, to me, it was I was in a very privileged situation whereby my parents were able to financially support me. I come from a family of medics, so I guess medicine's always been embedded in me. So I'm sure you've already understood my parents' woes when I said, I don't want to be a pharmacist anymore. I want to be a medical writer. They're like, 
oh my god no they love that i'm sure yeah uh, yeah I, I could say they love it for the first year but now that i'm established and have my role and everything that's going on there they're so proud they're so supportive which is great but if it wasn't for my girlfriend who i always say is essentially my business coach is I wouldn't be where I am today. And she's the one who inspired me to get out there. And, you know, she convinced me that I, what I was writing was good. You know, having never written, I guess, for a career before. Um, I think all of us in medicine or any healthcare topic who've studied in university have had some sort of running experience, whether it's before a master's dissertation, so or I've done a literature review, we've done all those kinds of things. But when it comes to medical writing, you're actually doing a lot more than just academia. You're, you're not, you know, writing literature reviews anymore. You're understanding them and then sort of distilling them down so everybody can understand what's going on. Uh, and that's why our role is, I believe, is so crucial. And so I sort of, I thought about it when I first started out, and I was like, can this be feasibly like a long-term career for me? I thought at the time, with a cool, I'm earning, I wasn't earning that much whatsoever when I started. I think my first month I earned $257 using freelancing platforms, which at the time, because I was in Bali during COVID, everything was so cheap, and I was lucky to be able to live there on that budget. It was crazy, but nowadays it's like the same price as London. Um, yes, it's, 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 it's wild. Um, so during that, I was like, can I do this? Can I do this? Um, but I kept going, you know, I, I didn't let it stop me. I sort of persevered. I invested some of my own money to kind of help find different roles and aspects of it until I found my first sort of full-time role per se for marketing agencies that, you know, uh, coincidentally marketed for orthopedic surgeons. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, this is great. I've had the years of fears in orthopedic surgery. So everything I'm writing is literally everything I do in practice. And that's what I started really loving the career. I was able to basically write everything that I know and everything that I do in my day-to-day -day life as a pharmacist and put it down on paper in the same words that I would use to actually talk to my patients. And that was the biggest thing because a lot of people, when they write, you end up triggering this sort of academic <laughs> uh, mind inside you that wants to write really complex stuff and you know make it really articulate. But in the reality, whatever you're writing is going to be mainly aimed at the public because they're the ones who are going to be accessing these websites and finding out what's going on and, and that's where i found out that i that was my usb because i've had that direct patient contact for about five years i was like okay cool this is where i thrive and that's when i started selling myself to other clients on my actual experience as a healthcare professional i provide a unique in insight from both sides of the patient physician spectrum so whether it's a company that needs content for uh, healthcare professionals or for, or for patients, I'm able to kind of tailor it both ways because I've been on the receiving ends of both. Um, and it sort of, it gives everybody that like, whoa, okay, this is actually pretty cool. Why isn't there more of this? And traditionally when you, you know, when you Google any health topic, uh, a lot of times you see an article and it will say like medically reviewed by, and I'll be like an MD who's reviewed the article to make sure it's, it's correct. And that just takes up a lot of time too, because editing is not an easy process. Uh, and by being healthcare professionals and running this content, you're kind of bypassing that mark. Yes, you're always going to have an editor, but they may not necessarily have to fact check what you're writing because, I mean, I think it's right. Rightful to see a healthcare professional should be able to write something that they know is right um, and not something that's fabricated. So I think by and large, we're reducing the, the workload on some MPs who would otherwise may have had to have editorial roles. Although that could be, that could well be their side hustle too. So I feel bad taking that away from them. At the same time, we're making the internet a safer place. Um, I can't remember the exact figures, but I've read a few studies where like, <clears throat> I think at one point, like 70% of stuff you read online is not true. Uh, and it's it's scary to think that. And there's a lot of conditions out there that are either highly stigmatized or kind of under the public and health professional eye, like particularly endometriosis, for example. Uh, so a lot of people turn to the internet for help, and, you know, rely on patient advocates. And sometimes patient advocates, 
the other patients, but sometimes what they write might not be like, you know, exactly what it says in literature. It could be very different and somebody might take that as face value and something else might happen, you know, a consequence of taking an action. And I guess our role is to kind of prevent that from happening and making sure there's, you know, the safest possible information out there. And I say safest in quotation marks because I you know, of course, due diligence. Yeah. I think I went off on a tandem there from your very initial question. Oh, that's okay. So one thing I'd like to to talk about is you mentioned it there. And before we came on to record, we were talking about it a little bit as well, but the importance of that healthcare clinician perspective, because I think maybe people that are listening to this don't realize that all of medical writing is not done by healthcare clinicians, that there may be some non-medical people, or at least people that are not licensed healthcare professionals that are writing these articles. So can you talk to maybe the importance of your clinical background and what it does when you're writing not only to healthcare professionals, but also to patients and what maybe unique skill sets healthcare, healthcare clinicians may have compared to someone that just went to school for English or writing and is now working for one of these writing firms? Well, first and foremost, whenever you write anything medical, it's got to always be backed up by incredible resources. People who have not studied medicine or another healthcare topic might kind of find, might, might struggle finding the credible resources. Like I've had to edit articles before that have been referenced using Wikipedia, for example. And I'm like, you can't do this. Or they've referenced other articles that have been written by some other journalists. And I'm like, no, again, this is not a credible source. You need to find the actual source. So <clears throat> with us, it's like, I guess the most prominent thing we can do is we know how to research. It's, it was embedded to us during university. And that's essentially what's going to drive our, you know, the safety in the content that we produce. Uh, additionally, we always talk to patients. So no matter your healthcare career, whether you're occupational health, whether you're a psychiatrist, a PEA, a physician, you're going to be talking to patients at some point in your life. And you're not going to be talking to patients in the same way that you talk to your colleagues because, you know, telling a patient their BP is 150 or 82 or like, well, what do you mean? But like, you know, you have to kind of distill it down and sort of explain what those numbers mean and explain what BP stands for and, you know, really break it down. Whereas when talking to a colleague, you don't really need to break anything down. You just kind of say that the points there are there and that makes sense. So when talking to a patient, when writing an article that's patient facing, you're always going to take into account, like, what is it that the patient's actually going to be hearing? Um, are you writing an article that's talking to a patient? So you need to make sure that everything that's on there that seems ever so slightly complex has to be distilled down. And that can be difficult to do. I'm not going to lie because I've even found that difficult <clears throat> because, <clears throat> pardon me, we always want to write the acronyms and everything else that we've learned because it's, it just what flows to us. And sometimes we think like even BP, like one of the simplest acronyms in medicine, arguably, uh, doesn't need to be explained and you're like oh wait no actually people might not even know what blood pressure means and people always hear i've got high blood pressure but what does that actually mean what does that mean for you um and of course the blood pressure being one of the things that you can't really definitely have many symptoms <laughs> so it's it's, it's uh, crucial to explain the patients what that actually is and what's happening to them um so i read a study uh recently and i think it was it said something about 61 percent of the uk working age population doesn't have the right uh, I guess, capacity to understand medical information, mm-hmm. which given that most of everything we do right now is going digital, it sort of highlights how crucial it is that we make sure that everything that is online, that that 61% gets to read is going to be simple enough for them to understand. Because otherwise we're going to go into a whole other different problem and it's probably partly that, you know, responsible for what's causing the such burnout levels and all the, you know, patient admissions and stuff because people are too well aware of their health. And I believe, I really believe that as medical writers, one of our fundamental roles is 
to you know improve health literacy amongst everybody and that's why the healthcare background comes into play because we've learned everything uh, and it's you know its biggest complexity and we we are basically distilling everything that we read online that even we sometimes struggle to understand to make it you know available for everybody to read and that's the biggest thing when it comes to running for healthcare professional stuff um as a healthcare professional, you've been on the receiving end for many promotional products, whether it's if you're a pharmacist and a rep comes into your pharmacy and goes, hey, here's this leaflet and neon inhalers come up. How to read this leaflet? Uh, let me know what you think. Or here's this inhaler. Here's how it works. And that's that's HCP marketing. You're basically showing a product to a healthcare professional, showing what it is. So you kind of know what to expect. Um, I can't say for any other roles. I'm sure physicians can invite it to conferences and whatnot um, that you know market to them various drugs or different, I guess, uh, <laughs> guidelines to use. Um, but I, all that you kind of understand how it is because you've had it done to you before. See, so you, you already know what, what to write for your client. So if you have a new client that is new to the pharmaceutical game and they want to advertise new medication to healthcare professional, you're like, okay, cool. I know exactly what to produce for you because this is, you know, what other companies have brought to me and it's what works. Um, whereas somebody who hasn't been on that side of things kind of has to use, rely solely on their creativity to uh, create something that's going to be addressed to healthcare professionals. Whereas with us, we kind of bypass quite a lot of hours of desktop research because we know what it is to write. And there's also the products that are going to be used amongst varying multidisciplinary roles. So for example, um, having a call from a company that says, hey, we want to have this new product, but we don't actually know which healthcare professional uses it. Can you let us know which professionals we should aim to market this at? I'm like, well, what is it? Is it a medication? And if that's the case, you need to like, there's a whole list of people you need to market that to because everybody's going to involve, be involved in some way or another with that medication, whether they're a, phys, you know, um, a physiotherapist who's dealing with pain or whether they're a pharmacist who needs to understand the dosing or a nurse that's administering the medication. There are so many people that you need to tackle and a lot of people kind of forget that and they think, oh, cool, medicine pharmacist. Uh, whereas in reality, there's a whole other bunch of people that even within medicine don't have as comprehensive literacy as pharmacists per se because it's medicine. Um, and so you need to kind of find a way to write about these topics in a way that all healthcare professionals can understand and not just those who are specialists in medicine. Yeah, it's so true. I, um, I've been starting to get into more medical writing lately. I've been trying to diversify my consulting. And one of the things that I do a, a good amount is I help create promotional material for pharmaceutical companies or for CME companies. So it is, you're absolutely right. Even within healthcare professionals, it's going to be a completely different message because if you're making a, a slide deck for physicians or pharmacists, there may be uh, an ex expectation for a level of understanding of how to break down a meta-analysis or how to read an effect size, where if you're talking to nurses or even PAs and NPs, because their education is a little bit more condensed, very often that same level of requisite knowledge is not there. So you have to not necessarily dumb down the talk, but make sure, hey, put a little explainer that what effect size means and put these little things in to make sure that you're not leaving anyone behind. So there's absolutely an art to it. With that, actually, I want to transition and talk about literacy within um, medical literature of just knowing how to read a study or analyze a study, because you've alluded to it a couple different times. I think that's such an important part of medicine as a healthcare clinician is being able to look at a study or look at a journal article and analyze the quality of it based on the data. Is that something that you feel like coming into this, there was already a very strong 
baseline knowledge because of your background as a pharmacist. And now as you've been doing medical writing full time, do you feel like you've learned more than you knew pre-COVID or pre-medical writing on how to really distill down and analyze data and assess the quality of it? Absolutely. I'll be completely honest. Before I started, I knew <clears throat> I knew how to type in PubMed followed by the title and click on the first article that I saw and thought, okay, cool, this is <laughs> reputable. I'll use this. And, that's and I think that's most healthcare professionals. Absolutely. And I think that kind of stems from university because we don't get taught how to write these things in university. Uh -huh. You get kind of given a dissertation topic and you're like, cool, go write this literature review. And I'm like, exactly. Oh, any guidance? Like in school, like in, in high school during the in UK GCSEs and A levels, you're never going to have to reference anything when you write it. It's just kind of, you're answering questions based off textbooks. And then you go straight to university and they're like, oh, there are no textbooks, but there are actually studies online that you should go read. But, and then you write about, you write a, a wonderful dissertation. And they're like, where did you get all this information from? Can you reference it? And I'm like, well, and then they say, oh, pick a referencing style. And even then you're like, what do you mean referencing style? And then they give you another list of referencing styles. You're like, oh my God, okay. And then you do the <laughs> referencing styles and they're like, oh, you've done this wrong, done this wrong. And it's, you know, it becomes tedious. But as working uh, as a medical writer, particularly working within healthcare marketing agencies that have uh, in-house compliance teams because of medical writing. And the US, so the USA is one of the only countries in the world alongside New Zealand that actually markets medicines directly to the public and doesn't have as strict regulatory uh, boards as the UK and rest of Europe. So we everything that we do has to be within the lines of the ABPI, the BFCPA, and the MHRA, which essentially are the UK law when it comes to healthcare marketing. Uh, and with that, we kind of have to be very, very stingent and very, you know, we need to know exactly what we're writing and we, can't, we need to make sure nothing is fabricated. Everything that we write has to be referenced to the T. And that's when I started to understand what it really meant to find a reputable article. And by that, I mean, is it peer reviewed? Is it a double blind control study? How many participants were there? Where is it? Is it region specific? Is it a global study? How long ago was it? Because a lot of, like, we, I think, a lot of us, I'm, I'm the 27 years old now, and even now when I look at something that's like in 2012, I'm just like, oh, that's, you know, that was like yesterday. But then you look back and you're like, 2012 is 11 years ago. So when you're so writing about a topic that's continuously expanding, like cardiovascular disease, there's always new things in cardiovascular disease, right? Rough ticket article from 2011 might actually, or 2012, might actually be out of date because what was found then, it could be changed now. There are certain topics such as, like I'll say, endometriosis, like I said earlier, where, you know, research is pretty low and underfunded. So, you know, you can't reference back to the 1990s if you have to, because there isn't that much out there. Whereas it's sort of have an understanding that because there is quite often that I might, before I was a medical writer, I'd write something and reference something from like 50 years ago, thinking that I was still right, but obviously it's wrong. And so it's having that knowledge is crucial to basically making sure everything that you write is credible and up to date. And instead of, you sort of need to know how to use the, um, the journals. So you have, you know, the Lancet, you have PubMed, you have Google Scholar, you have Microsoft's version, you have, there are so many different journals to use. And, you know, searching, uh, searching within them goes beyond just typing in the topic that you're looking for. You can, you know, search from year, search by date, search by author, search to by various clauses, exactly what you need. So you can really pinpoint down exactly the research that you're looking for, which makes medical writing so much more fun. And I think a lot of people feel like, you don't have the creativity. Uh, you don't. You're not allowed creativity when doing medical writing. Um, that's not really the case. You can still, you know, express your linguistic abilities, but because you can actually research for an article so specifically, everything that you write, if you search with other parameters of what you've written, 
you'll probably find something that will back up exactly what you said, or else you can just, you know, amend it to make sure it's actually, it, it makes sense. Yeah, I fall into that trap too. I recently was reading an article and it was a, somewhat of a commentary opinion piece, but then when I looked at the reference list, it turns out that I think seven of the 10 referenced, uh, you know, articles were all written by the same author. So the article itself was compelling, but then when I looked at the reference list, it's like, wait a minute, there's there's a little bit of bias here if, if almost everything is coming from one source. So it's little things like that that I agree with you. I mean, 10 years ago when I was first starting out in healthcare, I never would have thought to look for bias or you know maybe concerns that way. And you're right, there's so much out there in PubMed that if you go in and say, I wanna find articles that support this theory, you absolutely can create a really compelling list of articles or journals that support that without ever even seeing the other side of it just based on your own biases. So it is very important to know uh, how to do it correctly, but then also to make sure that we're aware of those biases that can occur as we're assessing these articles. So here's a, another question for you. Maybe this is kind of like the, the step back 30,000 foot overview is now that you've started this company and you're spending time showing people the way, showing people how to become medical writers, maybe how to go become an expat and live somewhere else. Cause I think that's maybe everyone's dream. I know in the U S you can live abroad, but for Medicare, you cannot be outside of the U S and conduct healthcare. So even as telemedicine continues to grow and become more mainstream, if you want to continue to accept Medicare as payment as a healthcare professional in the U S you have to be within U S borders. So not everybody can go to Bali and still be a clinician. Looking back now in the past few years, is there anything that you wish you would have known in 2020 when you started this journey that you can share with people that are maybe interested in medical writing, either as a side hustle as, or as an alternate career? I just, I wish, I wish I had the courage to genuinely look out for other roles out there. I think a lot of us, when they come out of university, we're kind of taught the one thing, you know, I mean, for a lot of people as well as from high school, if you're a high achiever, your high school is going to push you towards studying medicine or law or something like that, which is pretty outdated in, it, in itself. Uh, and then also at university, you're studying medicine. I mean, ideally you're studying to become a doctor. That's essentially why you're studying medicine, but that's what everyone's telling you. Um, so I feel like there should genuinely just be a change in, educa in the educational um, platform and the infrastructure of education that kind of allows people to, yeah, allows medics to understand that there are roles that go beyond being a doctor where, you know, clinical input is invaluable. And, you know, I, the NHS has recently uh, introduced a clinical entrepreneur program, which helps junior med, junior doctors and medical medical school students to actually venture venture away from the traditional roles and start up uh, business and stuff, which I think is inspiring. And that should be the way forward because a lot of medics are very creative and have amazing ideas, but they're either too scared to kind of put them to use or they don't know how, they don't know which way to go. And I feel like there needs to be a bit more emphasis on business and because I think we're, we're missing out a lot of crucial stuff because it's stuck inside people's heads and they don't know which way to go. So I guess if I was back in 2020, I wish, I wish I knew, I wish I had the courage to actually seek out alternative roles and understand that they were genuinely viable. Um, and I wish I just sort of, you know, knew, knew how to sort of search for things outside of the word pharmacy. Because being a pharmacist, I'm always like working pharmacist remote or pharmacist working abroad. And, you know, you're only going to get the same role. You're only going to get a pharmacist here or there. I was even contemplating doing uh, Doctors Without Borders as a pharmacist because I wanted to do work remotely as a pharmacist. But then when the only option was the Democratic Republic, Republic the Republic of Congo, I was like, all right, okay, well, I'll, I'll give this other message for that. 
So yeah, I guess in 2020, I wish that was the case. And I wish I knew the power of networking. Uh, for me, networking has been the most invaluable skill I've ever learned. Um, I started on you know LinkedIn about, I think it was September, I started posting on there. I don't even know why I started posting. I think I went on because I had like a, a connection from a recruiter. And then I was looking through the feed and I was like, wow, okay, people are actually posting content here. It's no, it's no longer just, I'm excited to share my roles here. Um, <clears throat> so I was like, okay, well, let me, let me get on board with this. And at that time, I've been a medical writer for two years. So they, okay, cool. I'll start writing about medical writing. And that's when I kind of sort of gathering, uh, started gathering an audience of people being like, okay, cool. What are you doing? And there was a lot of healthcare professionals that were like, well, how do we do this? So, and from that, I built networks with not only other healthcare professionals, but other healthcare professionals who have ventured out of the clinical careers and now are doing things everywhere. Um, and it's sort of opening up my mind as well to what's going on in the world, particularly in digital health. I'm still new to digital health, but I'm connected with a lot of people in digital health, whether they're founders of companies, whether they're consultants to digital health, or whether they're people marketing digital health. But they also post invaluable content that to me is just pure education, and I love it. And, and that's basically giving me insight of what the future of medicine is going to look like. And that, that couldn't have happened without networking. And neither could finding my roles and earning what I do now and even finding my business partner. That was all networking through LinkedIn. I met Virginia in real life once. And that was three months after we started the company together because she's based in Germany and I'm based well, somewhere around the world. Um, so yeah, networking, I think, is the biggest thing. And whether it's you know uh, an in-person conference that you go to or a networking event, or just by genuinely connecting with people that whose careers you're interested in, or people who you genuinely believe you can help out or they can help you. It's so funny, listeners, we did not plan this. We did not prep Hassan before he came in. And yet, Hassan, this is really something that has just been a recurrent theme through our show, through all of our guests, is that having a plan, whether that be ways to advance your career within your organization, to become a more proficient clinician, or even leave and find something else, but then also networking. I think so often in healthcare, we put blinders on because we go to our clinic, we see the same five or six coworkers day in and day out, and we don't necessarily see value of going and hanging out with the orthopedic surgery department if we work in neurology, because those guys are weird. But at the same time, when we are interacting, when we're talking to other people, maybe people that are healthcare clinicians in different or non-traditional roles, that's really where we can learn and find out about these opportunities. And I agree with you. I think digital health is so exciting. And through this, through the podcast, we've been able to have really great conversations with people that are in that space, clinicians that have now made the jump. And I'm really excited and confident for the future because I think we're converging into this place where technology, but then also this high level of burnout in healthcare that is maybe driving people to seek alternate career paths is leading to this fusion where we have clinicians that are really, really talented, understand what's needed in medicine, understand these points of friction or these pain points in medicine. And they're now going to these health companies and trying to find solutions and make a difference. And it's really exciting. I think we're going to see a lot of disruption, especially just with AI. The next 10 years are going to be transformative in healthcare. And you and I are both young. It's our job. I think it's imperative that we adapt, that we see what's coming on the horizon and that we continue to make sure that we're preparing to have a meaningful and fulfilling career, even if medicine is completely different 30 years from now from when we started. So I think that's a really positive, uplifting, optimistic place to leave it. So I don't know if you have listened to previous shows, but we always like to finish with a personal note. And the reason we do this is healthcare can be all consuming. And we want to make sure that even within these shows where we're talking about careers and different things within 
healthcare that we also still maintain some of that humanity outside of our jobs. So Hassan, if there's anything, you know, something that you're reading, drinking, watching, something exciting that's going on, we'd love to share it with listeners. If you want, I can go first so that I can give you a minute to think about it. Before we got on, I was just telling you, I was actually five minutes late recording today because my wife is in Guatemala for a medical mission, which at some point I think we need to have her on just to hear about medical missions because she's doing some pretty cool stuff down there. But I am solo dadding it this week and we scheduled this interview, but I forgot that this morning I would have to take two kids on the bus, one kid to preschool and one kid to daycare all before coming into the office for work today. So I made it. We Everyone got breakfast. Everyone had fresh clothes on. Everyone got to school on time, but it was a little bit chaotic. So I am appreciative of good partnerships. You know, when you have a good spouse at home, it really makes a big difference to, to ease the workload. But I'm also very appreciative for technology where we were able to still get this done, even though it was a very chaotic and busy morning from across the world in 12 hour difference in time zone. And we were still able to make it work. But Hassan, what do you have going on? Anything fun or interesting to share with listeners? I feel like in my life, there's always something going on because I, I live on the other side of the world. So I feel like I'm always going to be somewhere else. It's our anniversary in two weeks' time. So we're going to be spending a couple of days in a hotel where you can have breakfast with giraffes, which I think is wonderful. And it's all ethical. And, oh, my goodness. You know, they're in their natural habitat, which I'm very excited hearing the news. Yeah. We're also planning to go to Australia in three weeks' time just to kind of scope out because we are looking for somewhere to actually settle down at some point. And Bali, as beautiful as it is, isn't a feasible long term plan. <laughs> and I, so we're going to check out Australia finally just to see what it's like and see what it's like to live there. And maybe if there's a way to pursue some other sort of pharmacy over there as well to see what's going on. So I'm very excited about that too. And um, I've just sort of been, I've been reading a lot more too. I've, you know, being a writer kind of inspired me to read again. When I was a kid, I used to love nothing more than getting lost in a book. I remember I used to get scared. Of, like, I used to read like books which aren't really horror books because I had such a like imagine vivid imagination as a child. I'd like close the book in my time. So like, no, I'm not reading about that. So it's just scary. <laughs> but now I'm back on the board again and reading. I've tried to read at least one book a month and it's been inspiring of you know, uh, enhance my vocabulary and that's, I just, I'm more excited for it. Um, but I think most importantly for me, I've been given the opportunity to shine light on a lot of men's health topics that I know we wanted to keep it off on a light note, but having, you know, having colleagues go through really poor mental health because up right now and other personal reasons, uh, we kind of forget about mental health professionals, all, sorry, <laughs> all healthcare professionals suffer mental health problems too. They are the ones who have to put on the brave face to look after everybody, but there's nobody to put on the brave the face to look after that. So it's from everything I've been writing, I just basically wanted to leave out with a message for everybody to look after themselves and even healthcare professionals. Like, yes, you, you have a responsibility to look after patients, but you're going to be, if you're going to become a patient yourself, you're not going to look after yourself. So if there is any time that you are feeling low, I mean, I think taking some time off work is going to do you a whole world of good and your employer is in no way going to say, no, get, you know, get back in here. If, regardless of where you are working, there's always going to be corporate so it's going to be a locum out there to cover your shift. So if you do feel bad, just don't don't hold it in and don't go to work because you feel like you have to because you know your mental health is most important. I just want everybody to kind of understand that. That's a great place to end. Yeah, it's maybe not a light item, but I think it's so important. And I'm so glad you brought it up because we talk about all these things of ways that we can have a more fulfilling career, ways that we can find happiness in our healthcare careers. And a big part of that is exactly what you're discussing is that we have mental health issues as well. We we're not immune to it just because we work in healthcare. And so often our roles as caregivers are maybe such that we don't think we have the ability to hold our hand up and say, hey, I'm struggling. So 
if you are listening to this, if you are someone who is feeling burned out, or maybe you're feeling depressed or anxious, I, I agree with Hassan. Just, you know, reach out for help. There's a lot of different resources out there. I know sometimes in healthcare, there's stigma. You know, if you're in the ICU cranking 12-hour shifts, it's maybe a little bit hard to say, I can't do this or I need to take some time away. But it really is important because if we're not caring for ourselves, then we can't care for those that we love. We can't care for our patients. We need to make sure that we're putting our own oxygen mask on first if we're going to use that airplane analogy. So I love that. I think it's a great place to end. And thank you for bringing that up. And thank you for your work in that space. If that's an area that has been one of passion for you and one where you've been able to to contribute to the literature that's out there, I, I really am appreciative of that because I work in mental health and I agree with you. It's such a, an unmet need. And I want to make sure that everyone out there feels comfortable seeking help if they need it. But we'll finish there. Hassan, thank you so much. This was so great. I This is our first time having a guest that's international. So we'll, we'll check off the box there for the podcast, someone from Bali. And otherwise, listeners, thank you so much for joining us. We are White Coats of the Round Table. If you like what you hear, certainly consider giving us a follow, sharing us, or leaving us a review. If you don't like what you hear, definitely don't review us. Otherwise, this is Hassan, and my name's Mike Asbeck, and we'll speak with you next week. 